Welcome to the Kegel Room, a podcast for women of color to learn all the things you didn't learn about pelvic health, from sex to childbirth, pain, fitness, and then some. I'm your host, Dr. Camille Siegel, a licensed pelvic floor physical therapist. Let's get right to it. Welcome to another episode of The Kegel Room. Today we have Dr. Heather Irobunda, who is an OBGYN physician for New York City Health and Hospitals. She takes care of everyone pretty much within the lifespan, uh, reproductive health needs for anyone with vaginas and or uteruses and or ovaries. Born and raised in New York City, but she's been all over the world. So let's hear a little bit more about her and how she ended up back to New York. So Dr. Heather, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So yeah, let's share a little bit about you and how you ended up in medicine and specifically OBGYN. Well, so I'm Heather. I'm from the Bronx. I grew up there left there when I was a teenager to go to med, to, not to med school, to college. I went to school in Philly. And then I came back afterwards. I kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly. Because you know, what's kind of funny is that I feel like a lot of people, especially when I was growing up, we didn't know anything about these different types of health fields. We only knew doctors and nurses, right? We didn't know that There are people who are researchers, hospital administrators, at least in my neighborhood, we didn't know that. So I used to say, I want to be a doctor, right? And that's it. I didn't know what kind of doctor. I knew I liked science. I knew I liked people, but I didn't know anything about that. When I went to college, though, I got involved in some research stuff there, kind of with more bench work, as in like, I was actually working on HIV research, which is really random. And I did that for a while. I thought it was really cool, but I didn't know if that was for me. So after college, I actually did some social work research and I was working again with HIV, but in the context of people. And so I really got to know these couples, especially the women that I was taking care of. And it was very interesting to me because they didn't know a lot about their bodies and they didn't know a lot about how they could contract HIV because a lot of them were in relationships with men who were HIV positive and they were HIV negative. And I mean, basic anatomy, they didn't know. Basic ways in which things happened to them, they didn't really understand. And that's where I really came to the thought that I wanted to be involved in women's healthcare. It took me a few years to figure out that I wanted to be a physician. At first I was thinking maybe I want to be a health educator or maybe I want to do something more policy related. So I was thinking maybe I want to get a master's in public health. I was all over the place. My family was just like, please pick something. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand any of it. But I really got interested in the disease processes. So things like sexually transmitted infections and how people were treated and how it affected their fertility and how it affected their overall general health. And so that really is what led me into medicine and going to med school. So that's kind of how I got here. And I left New York for a while because I was in the military. I was in the army and they helped pay for school, which was really nice. And also too, my brother, yes, it was really nice. And my brother 
was in the army. And so I thought it was pretty cool. And I've always considered myself kind of like a tomboy, tough girl type. And I'm always trying to do something that like people would not really expect of me. And it's really funny because it's like inside my brain in the back there, like, oh, you don't think I can do this? I'm going to try it. So it's like you got to prove them wrong, right? I know, right? Like the imaginary people, the haters, <laughs> you know? They're and always the there. The haters that are always there that tell you can't do something. Who knows who the haters are? But I felt like I needed to prove them wrong. So <laughs> I joined the army and I was an OBGYN in the army for eight years. I did my residency through the army at Walter Reed in DC. And then I was stationed upstate New York for four years. It was very cold, but we made it. And then after that, I came back to New York because um, New York City, because that's where I'm, I'm from. And this is a place that I feel really passionately about. So Welcome I wanted to come back. back to help my community, which I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're back and I'm in the Bronx? working with my community back in the Bronx. I'm back in the Bronx, which is like, it's very interesting because it's very interesting to be able to relate to my patients on that level because a lot of them can't even believe. I'm like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's where I grew up too. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, my sister still lives there. Like, I know exactly where you're talking about, girlfriend. So you truly are serving your community. I truly am. And it's kind of funny because you you can't always say that. I'm actually serving my community. Like one of the hospitals that I work in, my sister, when she broke her arm when she was like seven years old, that's where she got it patched up. Yep. So you you were there. Yep. That's I've been there. Cool. So and you even my med school was through there. Your med school? Yeah, my med school, Albert Einstein College of Medicine, is in the Bronx as well. So nice. I have ties. I have ties there. Deep nice. roots in the Bronx. Yeah. They're very lucky to have you, to have you back. I'm really excited to be there. Right, right. (laughs) So you had brought up before that you noticed that women didn't know like basic things about anatomy or just really hygiene stuff that they should know. What are some things that you can share that you find yourself saying quite often (laughs) that like people should know? Well, first things I like to tell people is that it's okay to call your vagina a vagina. (laughs) Like down there, that thing, whatever types of words you want to use, it's okay to call it the vagina. And it's actually really important that we teach our children that because if anything were to happen, it's so that they're able to tell you what's going on. Calling your vagina a vagina is not a problem. Also calling a penis a penis is not a problem either. You know, And then even the parts of the vagina, no, learning what they are, using the proper names for them because it makes it easier for people to understand what you're talking about. And there's no shame in that either. It's a part of your body, just like your hand is a part of your body. And your elbow and your knees. Right, right. Exactly. We talked about this in the- Yeah, right. Vulva. We talked about this in the last episode too. And and the other PT that I had this discussion with has said that her mom- taught it to her as peaches. So she was saying like, how would it look if I went to the OBGYN and something was wrong? And she was like, my peaches, I don't really know what else to say or how else to say this. And the doctor's looking at you like, I'm sorry, what now? Your, your peaches? Oh yes, girl. I'm telling you, they, patients come and tell them with all different types of names. Sometimes what I find to be kind of interesting too is 
I work in New York City with a lot of people where that English is not their first language or their mm-hmm. language at all. Mm-hmm. And so in their attempts at trying, they know some words in English. And usually, as we know, we know the curse words in yeah. other languages. So I don't know, but sometimes they'll just say, you know, they'll say my pussy and I'm like, <laughs> that's what they know and that's what they know I'm like all right girl but we call it we also call it a vagina if you want to use that too but you know definitely knowing three holes we take that for granted but it's really a thing there are a lot yeah. of women that don't know that there are three holes down there and I actually as recently as within the last few weeks had a patient who was concerned because she discovered her urethra Oh. and she oh didn't know yeah she didn't, she didn't realize it was there yeah she didn't realize it was there and she was like I have this thing she's like I know there's a clitoris and then my vagina but there's this thing in the middle and it's weird and I don't really understand it and whatever mm-hmm. and then we did an exam and I said touch where it is and this is a grown woman I think she's probably in her 30s and it was her urethra and it was a perfectly normal urethra it was nothing there was nothing wrong with it she wasn't having pain she had just discovered it and so just knowing that you have three holes down there is is important to know also to know that there's different ways that they can look or be like I think pornography or just in general lots of different things are circulating around and again actually last week I had a patient (laughs) referred to me by a pediatrician and it was like, oh, I think there's something wrong down there. It's perfectly normal anatomy. It's just that sometimes people have more prominent tissues certain places and someone may think that that's abnormal or even the patient may think it's abnormal. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, nope, this is perfectly fine. normal. When I started my pelvic floor training, I was actually taught that the vulva is like a face. We all have eyes, mouth, nose, ears, cheeks, forehead, right? We all have these parts to our faces, but they all look different. Some of us have more pointy nose, more flatter nose, broader, thicker lips, thinner lips. Our eyes are different shapes. Our eyebrows are also different shapes. You'll find the same thing with a vulva. It looks different. Our anatomies are different. The same parts exist, but they're not going to look the same for everyone. And I think, yes, pornography plays a role in that too, because in pornography, you're seeing the ones that have been made to look quote unquote perfect, right? Right. How, how someone decided, yes, how someone decided this is an ideal vulva. And now everyone is comparing this vulva to that vulva, right? And that you can't do that (laughs) because they're all going to look different. Yes. And so just knowing that there's a large amount of variety that with all of your parts, all of your vagina can be different. Your vulva can be different. All of that can be different. And that's still normal. Yeah. And that's still okay. So it's a lot of that. And then in terms of hygiene, I think the biggest thing is people (laughs) not acting like their vagina is this like radioactive, like, sewer (laughs) that needs to be irrigated with like the harshest chemicals or whatever chemicals really you'll find around people are so obsessed with the cleanliness of their vaginas and I usually tell people that if 
you are having issues with discharge or smells in places like America or first world countries, it's typically because you're overdoing it, not because you're underdoing it. Mm. You need to be in the sweet spot. So it's just like I've told my patients, I did a mission trip in Haiti years ago and the water supply wasn't um, where I was, was, wasn't the cleanest. And so um, it's actually quite sad, but trichomonas, which is considered a sexually transmitted infection in the United States, actually is in some of the water supply in Haiti. And so some women, like, so you can't really um, evaluate women there and tell them that they got trichomonas from their partner Partner, because it's in the water because it's in the water Hmm. and also um people in their usage of soap they would use like laundry detergent not only to clean their laundry but clean their bodies everywhere and so they would get chemical issues especially vaginally from it so a lot of their issues were very different than our issues here so sometimes it's from dirty water and things like that or the water supply that would be used to clean their clothes would also be used to clean dirty dishes, things like that. So sometimes they would be, get, be getting infections just because of water and lack of hygiene, right? In America, it tends to be, it's the aisle, as I like to call it. It's, oh the obsession, it's, the, it's an obsession. The aisle, the feminine aisle, the pink aisle, whatever oh, you want to call yes, it. Yes, the yes. aisle that they're, that they're charging us more money for, okay? Just because it's pink. It's, yeah, because it's pink and because it's supposed to rid us of all the demons that live in our vagina. <laughs> there are no demons in the vagina. Exactly. Usually the first thing that I talk to women about when they're like, oh, um, I've been having lots of vaginal infections, been dealing with it my whole life. I'm like, okay, so why do you think you have an infection now? What are the issues that you're dealing with? And oftentimes I find that they haven't been asked a lot of those questions before they get thrown stuff at them. They're just treating what's happening. Exactly. So it'll be like, oh, it's not an itch. It's really a smell. So they get antibiotics, right? (laughs) Or it's an itch. Let me just throw an antifungal. Oh, Mm -hmm. because you get the antifungal, then you're going to need the antibiotics. And then because you get the antibiotics, you need the antifungal. And then you have people who are addicted almost to... (laughs) all of these really hardcore antibiotics or antifungals to treat infections that they basically gave themselves from Mm -hmm. utilizing all of these different body washes or vaginal washes or feminine washes, whatever you want to call them, coochie washes, (laughs) whatever they are. And the fact that they even exist is just beyond me. I mean, there's so many things that exist for women that really shouldn't. And people think that because it's there, I can use it or I should use it. Or no, you you don't need to douche. You don't need a feminine wash. I tell my patients, and I'd love for you to share what, what you share with your patients too, but I tell my patients, all you need is soap that washes down your body. You don't need to put it directly there and your hands. That's all you need. Yep. That's exactly what I say. I say, you know, you shouldn't put soap directly on there. And then quite frankly, I say if people are having issues 
then you really need to reevaluate what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. And it's yeah. not harsher. You need to go. It's, it's more milder, gentle. Right. Milder. Exactly. Because I feel like people, again, it's like nu- yeah. they go nuclear. <laughs> Throw everything <laughs> at it. <laughs> They're like, oh, you want to smell? I'm going to make sure you don't smell. Mm-hmm. Like, boom. Right. And and your vagina doesn't respond that well. It no. says, your vagina ultimately, she has her own mind. And she's like, you know what? Oh, I'm going to make it worse. Make it way worse. I didn't and like that. She's giving attitude. Exactly. I'm like, she has a mind of her own and you have to play nice because basically you're at her begging calls sometimes. <laughs> she'll, she'll tell you who's boss. Yes. And she's the boss. <laughs> right, right, right. That's so She's important to know. So yeah, no, you definitely, I'm like, I definitely don't advocate for any special washes or soaps or anything in that area. Water is just fine. And yes, your hands are just fine. And uh, my favorite, I've been using this soap this whole time. And yep. didn't like, have any I've never issues until now. And then I'm like, well, let's try not using that soap and see what happens. <laughs> Let's try it. Right. Because right now, maybe you're telling me it was okay then. Yeah. And now your vagina is like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, listen, it it doesn't hurt to try because you're willing, if you're willing to try antibiotics and you should be willing to try. If I'm saying as a physician, try nothing, see what happens. Right. You should take that and run. (laughs) Exactly. Because we rarely say that. We rarely say, let's see what happens. Or like for some of my patients that have like vagina diaries. Like, I'm like, all right. Because, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. It might be due to what you're eating or what mm-hmm. you're drinking. Or, you know, some people notice that if they don't take a shower right after they go to the gym, right? Yeah. If they just yeah. even wait and stop at Starbucks before they go to the gym, they might end up with um, an infection or something like that. It's important to know those things. So I say, if you start having lots of issues with it, start writing a diary, start talking about what you're doing. And then I'm like the last line of it, if you're like somebody who's like me, who's like rose, 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 check, 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 check. <laughs> then the last box is vagina, <laughs> happy face, smiley face. <laughs> Tell me how she feels. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> That's Tell interesting. I love today. that vagina diary. <laughs> so I guess if women are having issues, they can start their own vagina diary. And that would be, yeah. wouldn't that be a helpful tool to bring into the OBGYN and be like, hey, I've been oh, having I these issues it. and I wrote all these things down. Can you help me figure out what it is that's going on? And you might be able to look at it and be like, oh girl, it's just this. <laughs> and you know what's crazy too is that most patients that I have do it, they usually come to me at the next appointment. I usually say like, okay, use a vagina diary for two to four weeks depending on, you know, Everybody lives their life. So I'm not going to be like, come in two weeks because two weeks may not be good for you. So two to four weeks, do it for, you know, I usually say do it about for two weeks so you have a good chunk of data. And then a lot of times they come into me and they're like, I found out what's going on with me. That's like, on their own. Usually, right. They usually figure it out on their own because they're like, yeah, I noticed that every time I have this food, I start having these issues or I once had a patient who figured out she was having issues after her husband started using certain supplements. Hmm. And we, oh, it, this was a long wow. extended vagina diary because yeah. it was like, and it was actually when I was still in the military. So what was funny was that she was having her issues when her 
husband was around. He went to training for like two weeks and she was fine. He came back and she started having issues again. It was like, how about we do a like experiment? Try some condoms and see what happens. She was fine. <laughs> so mm. I was like, it's something in the semen. Then she like super sleuthed it. And I was like super like excited for her <laughs> because she was like, this started X amount of time ago. And I think he started these supplements. He went off the supplements for a while. She got better. And people thought I was crazy. And I was like, listen, this girl was taking so many antibiotics. I was like afraid she was going to like develop some sort of antibiotic resistance or something, or like some major other issue. <laughs> she was going to develop some super bugs. I mean, she was on antibiotics from a, for a long time. That's so, so crazy. And all it was, was that her husband was taking a particular supplement. Yeah. It was like Man. totally jacking up his semen. <laughs> so, wow. That sounds like a, like a doctor house episode for reproductive <laughs> I, care. I know, Dr. Heather, <laughs> on the case. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a lot more flack than I did from my co other colleagues who were there watching this all go down. Because I would have her come in and we'd like go through her like diary <laughs> and then go through her symptoms. And then, you know, yeah, because I remember I was really excited for those two weeks her husband was gone because I didn't get any random phone calls from her like, I'm dying. <laughs> Well, what were her but, symptoms? If you can discuss, I mean, you can't discuss oh, yeah. her name, but yeah, what were I mean, her symptoms? For a long time ago. So she was just having like foul smelling discharge, wow. um, vaginal, like really bad irritation. Like it wasn't even like itching, it was just very irritated. And I mean, we, I sent off multiple swabs. I did cultures. Like she got the works from me and it was um, Gardnerella species, which causes, which is a type of bacteria that notoriously causes bacterial vaginosis and Ooh, so yeah. it was a real infection because sometimes bad. i'm always concerned whether it's more of like an allergic thing mm -hmm. because sometimes women can have what can feel like maybe a bacterial vaginosis infection or a yeast type infection but like when you actually really look at it it's not that it's actually an allergic reaction because guess what your vagina reacts to things pretty much a similar way every time it's she gets stinky and she starts bothering you so either itching burning something like that right in mm -hmm. terms of what we call vaginitis or an inflammation or infection of the vagina so i always tell <laughs> i always tell people she only has one emotion which is <laughs> really like <laughs> when something like kind of particularly bothers her it's not like she cries a little bit she like discharges and irritates your life so and that and, and it's similar it's like it, and it could be allergies so that's why sometimes and it because it changes your ph so yes, yes. it'll be like if you use a, a a soap or detergent on your clothes on your underwear or even a material that she is allergic to mm -hmm. it will be itching burning discharge yeah you'll know you'll know i always ask my patient that's something we always discuss pretty much like the first visit as soon as mm -hmm. i take a, you know i draw the sheets back and i'm like okay let's take a look at the tissues and i'm looking at does it look red more than it should does it mm -hmm. look dry does it look irritated and are they shaved or are they not oh, and yeah. i'm asking them like 
hey, what do you do for hygiene? I notice that you shave or wax completely. What else are you doing? What are you putting on? What are you spraying? What are you washing with? How are you doing? Mm -hmm. So I always ask because I find that sometimes it does help and it does play a role and it does change what's happening internally with the muscles. And it's so interesting to see the connection and it, and I think it's, it's so and they crazy. can see the connection too. Like, what? What am I doing? What I'm doing on the outside affects what's happening on the inside. I'm like, yeah, it's it's the health of your vagina. Exactly. That's what people don't realize is that our bodies are so interconnected, and it's so complex, really. And it's so many. There's so many different aspects to our health that can affect every part of your body especially your vagina. And so So it's usually, I spend a lot of time, I feel like with, especially my patients that have more chronic issues, not usually people coming in for their annual (laughs) exam, because usually it's like, I try to give them a little something or try to tease out to see if there's anything going on that I can help them with, because there's shockingly a lot of things going on that people are just like, oh, whatever, I'm not going to deal with it. And it's like, like painful sex, people Right. definitely live with for way too long unfortunately or, yeah heavy bleeding things like that and so pelvic pain in general people live with too long so I usually try to sort that all out during an annual visit just to see if that's something that's going on but if somebody's coming to me with an issue I'm gonna get into the weeds with everything because sometimes I even have patients like ask me like why do you need to know that <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So don't realize Why? it's connected. Yeah, and, and it's I'm just like, yes, I want to know everything, everything about you because I'm telling you, if we don't get a thorough history, not only medical history, but social history, like I want to know what's going on. Did you start a new job? Do you have a boo? Like, what do you guys do? Like, what, you know, that kind of stuff. I need to know all of this stuff because it affects your health. And it's not to say that you're doing anything wrong at all. It's more so that maybe there's some things that we can optimize, we can make better for you. So it's really about knowing what's going on. But I know I feel like people sometimes feel like you're being like really intrusive, or I feel like I'm going to be judged. And I'm like, trust me, I'm the last person who should be judging anybody. I wonder if there's some hesitation sometimes because many doctors are not, they're not you. They're not asking these questions. They're not trying to make the connections and see, is there anything we can optimize on? It's just, why are you here? Okay, here's a cream. Here's a prescription. Okay, go. Right? It's, it's, Unfortunately, yeah. it's like that way too often. So when there is a doctor who genuinely cares about your health, we're sort of like, oh, why do you want to know these things? <laughs> I know. And that's actually another big reason why I'm doing a lot of things that I'm doing, because I want patients to know, I want people to know that there are a lot of doctors out there that genuinely care. And Some of us have been conditioned to become a little bit more callous because Mm -hmm. of the nature of the medical system in which we work in, where it really does value output. (laughs) You know, it's like, how many patients can you see in a day? Mm -hmm. And how many calls can you avoid getting? So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's like the harder work is to find out what's going on with you and to actually say, hey, call me if you're having an issue. Call me if it's not going to be like an immediate fix because 
we have to actually get to the bottom of it because you know what? To me, I think I'm not doing you a service if you're coming to my office every two weeks for a different cream for your vagina. Like, right, right. you know, like I really just don't see that being a thing. And also, there is definitely a role for medicine, especially in reproductive health. But I feel like sometimes it's over medicalized. Like, we've made everything now into a medical problem, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny because this may sound a little bit trivial. This, what we're talking about, vaginitis, is very trivial and con- considering that there are other things that were considered medical issues like homosexuality <laughs> that have since now right. become demedicalized. But Clearly remember, it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was, uh, it wasn't that long ago when homosexuality was actually in textbooks as kind of the psycho psychiatry bible the dsm manual as uh, a like condition. mental illness a condition and that's ridiculous right. so we really have to be careful when we're looking at certain things and i'm not to not to devalue medicine because i am a practitioner of western medicine so i can't like totally crap on my it has its benefits right (laughs) and it definitely has its benefits and we definitely fixed a lot of things like we've definitely improved a lot of things in the world but you know we have to be careful when we sway the pendulum way too medically and so I feel like with the vagina I think sometimes it can get too crazy and then also our expectations as patients we're like I need a pill for that <laughs> I need yes. a pill for everything like and a quick like fix a quick fix and it's like sometimes it takes work I think mental health providers know that too they're like you know sometimes you need to do the work you need to do the therapy the self-help all of that stuff the vagina sometimes you need to figure out if it's something in your diet if it's a relationship that you're in that's bad that's causing you to spasm your vag- your yes, vaginal yes. muscles you know you need right, to right. we need to fi- get to the bottom of those and figure out how to how to change that how to fix that it's, it's the same thing i mean any pelvic floor pt it's not going to be a quick fix it's going to be it's going to take a while this is going to take a lot of changes and there's a lot of work mm-hmm. for you as the patient to do yes. and i tell my patients yes. all the time i'm not doing to you i am helping you figure this out and teaching you these things that you are going to continue to do on your own. Because if you're coming to me every week for years and years and years and years and years, I'm not doing my job. I mean, obviously there are some who need to come a little more often, but standard pelvic floor PT cases, you should be in and out of PT. It shouldn't be a forever type thing. Most of Exactly. And really that's what it is. It's like, holistic you know mm-hmm. it's holistic <laughs> reproductive care because honestly I think it's I always find it funny when people are taking it back I feel like I have patients all the time that are like why are you gonna know that <laughs> and I'm like it's important like I'm literally like examining your vagina you would I would you know in other parts of uh, you know of life you get a drink first right <laughs> <laughs> Like, come on, give me a little something to work with. Right, right. right. For your own health, you can tell me. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, listen, it's important because I think that nurturing those relationships with your medical providers, it will come to help you out later in life. Your medical provider knowing 
specifics about you will really help you because I know how to tell your therapy. Like there have been oftentimes when I'm like, yeah, she's not going to take that. (laughs) You know, she works nights and people who are in the night shift may have harder times when with certain daily medications, if it requires them to take it at a certain time in the morning, like they're not going to do it. So let's just call that a wash and try something different. You know, knowing these things about your patients are really important. So that's what I try to do. I think it's great. And I feel like all doctors, (laughs) yeah, if all doctors could be like that, where they care enough about the patient to sit and speak with them and learn about them outside of what the vagina looks like, right? If you're an OBGYN or Mm -hmm. whatever type of doctor you are, if you learn about them outside of that particular practice or realm, you can learn so much more about them and you might realize things like, oh, you do yoga. So maybe we can tie this into your care somehow, or maybe that's what's causing whatever issues it is that you're having. Knowing those things and having that level of comfort is what's needed. But I think that also plays into kind of some of the health disparities that Mm -hmm. we do see in black and brown communities, because I think that there's even more of a stress sometimes in those communities to get the patients in and out because depending, again, this is like our healthcare system, right? Like, I mean, unfortunately, it's a money related system. Uh, Um, And so, you know, it's like to pay bills and stuff like that. People are trying to get patients in and out. Exactly. And they got to see more people. And I think that there are a lot of social factors in ingrained systemic issues that if you took the time to look at them, you could see them. But if you're just trying to get your patients in and out, you might not see it. And then you don't, you're not, and, or you're not listening, you're not hearing for it. And so those things get kind of swept. You know, Mm -hmm. they get, they keep getting, or getting pushed onto, okay, well maybe this, their primary care doctor will take care of it, or this person will take care of it, or that person will take care of it. And then now we're six months down the line. Now one person is taking care of, exactly. And the patient hasn't been taking her medication or hasn't been coming to her appointments, didn't do the follow-up. You know, one thing that I have to say, which is like really heartening to me, which makes me feel really good is that the docs that I work with where I am now in the Bronx, wow, like, because I just came back in and I'm like thinking, okay, let's see what's going on. In New York City here, we have our Black maternal morbidity and mortality rate, but the mortality rates more specifically is horrific. It's eight to 12 Mm. times worse than our white counterparts. And that's worse than the national average. The national for Black women is three to four times in New York City, it's eight to 12, right? Where it's like, this is completely unacceptable, right? And, you know, and then you're just looking at why, because like, that was the first thing once I got the shot. I'm like, all right, well, we're, let's, let's see what's going on, right? We're dealing with lots of social issues, okay? A lot of the people who I take care of, they are your essential workers. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we've glorified certain types of essential workers, mm-hmm. like people like me, who are the, the doctor, doctors, right? the nurses. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly. Which, trust me, the work is essential and it is hard and it is grueling. And I'm not taking away from that. 
but the people who are driving cabs, the people who are driving the trains and the buses to get the essential workers to their to work are also essential. Essential. The yeah. the people who are making sure that I'm fed mm-hmm. <laughs> in that hospital cafeteria. Oh, those people who are cleaning up the COVID messes, you oh, know, yeah. mopping those floors and wiping mm-hmm. down those beds and getting your loved ones who may have passed from COVID, making sure they're clean and presentable to you. Those are also essential workers. And those are the patients that I treat, you know? And the problem is, is that they've been working hardcore during this whole time and they need, they have kids, childcare issues. So, okay, now it's time for them to take care of their own health. They're missing their appointments because guess what? Their kids now out of school because COVID. Because everybody's home and they can't make their regular appointments. And people are going to call child protective services if they leave their kid at home alone. And that may be, you know, hey, they may have other issues, other mitigating issues. And so they really can't or they really will get their child taken away from them. And so guess what? Their medical issue with their pregnancy becomes second fiddle. They're like, I can't leave my child here. Like, wow. oh, you say, you say I'm sick. Yeah. I get it. But I, I gotta go home, you know? So it seems what's like it? what's affecting health is not even necessarily health related. It's all the factors mm-hmm. that go into getting access to health. There's access to health. There's also making sure people are able to stay compliant on their medications or their treatment plans. And then there's just money allocation to, you know, certain parts of the city that are different than others, things like that. There's implicit bias, like people being concerned about the patient's compliance, like medical professionals, like, hey, do we think that someone values other things over their health? And are we in ourselves making a value judgment against our patients? Like, for example, it's like, I've been plenty of places where people are like, oh, you know, it's really messed up that she's willing to go to her job and not come to her medical appointment, even though she has all these medical issues where it's like, I mean, but she also has three kids at home who if she doesn't bring home a paycheck, she's yeah. not going to afford her rent. You she's not going to be able to feed them. Like, mm-hmm. what do you want her to do right now? Mm-hmm. She's like, maybe I can push this a little further, you know, until it's to the point where I can't push it anymore it's like it's just a really intricate situation that has multiple factors to it yeah because there's so much involved in the system a lot of systemic change to it but what I'm really proud of is the amount of acknowledgement if a patient can't stay for something it's not automatically like oh my god she's so horrible like she's valuing everything over like her health you know, we try to find ways to accommodate her. We're like, okay, well, I really don't want you to do this. You want me to make some phone calls for you? Is there anything that I can do? Okay, you can't come now, but when can you come? Not just saying, okay, you don't want to listen to my recommendation. Fine, just go and deal with everything. It's like trying to make a safe alternate plan that may not be the best plan, but it's something that's better better than than nothing. nothing, Right. And I think you made, you brought up a good point there. You know, before we, we mentioned that not all doctors are like you, they're not going out of their way to find out who you are. And some doctors are also not going to go above and beyond to say, okay, well, if you can't come 
this time because of your kids or because of work. Let's find a different solution. Most doctors aren't going to do that. Some doctors aren't going to do that. You know, they're just going to say the patient's not compliant or she values. Right. She's going to go to work, but she's not going to come take care of her health when she has all these things going on. You know, sometimes you got to step back and really look at the bigger picture and getting to know the patient, getting to know who they are, what drives them, who drives them can really play a role in that. So even just caring for the patient, finding an alternative, you're going to be more likely to do that if you know more about them. You know that they have three children at home. Yeah. You know that she works this kind of job and you know that she's having a hard time finding oh, yeah. childcare. Yeah. And just even too, it's just like even some of the other, ju- like, especially with implicit bias, it's so intertwined and, and ingrained. And I mean, everyone is guilty of implicit bias. Yeah, we all I mean, have it. I mean, we all have it. And I know there's definitely been like value judgments on people and like, and it's something that I broke in myself where it's like, you know, people talk about like people being flashy, right? Oh, she has her nails done. She has this done, but she tells you she can't afford her medication or this and that, you know, there's a lot of value judgments on it, but yeah. it's like, maybe, do you know how she got her nails done? Maybe right. it was a gift from somebody else. Maybe literally it's the only nice thing that she can do for herself. She She literally can do, like, must we live in squalor? Must we, like, literally not have anything that makes us feel good about ourselves? You know what I mean? It's like, have we all spent our money on things that we couldn't afford? Yes, we've all done it. Yeah, no judgment, no judgment. That's that's an important point. We talk about taking care of yourself, self-care, right? You know, Mm -hmm. doing something nice for yourself. Some people feel like a better person if their nails are done or if they put some makeup on or if their hair is done or something like that. That doesn't mean that, like... Yeah, they throw everything else aside. Like, that's what they do for them. We all have to do something for ourselves. We do. Exactly. Because, I mean, the the alternative to that, too, is, like, how did you want her to come in? Like, just because she didn't have money, do you want her to, like, come in with, like, with dirt to her nails and, like, looking like she hasn't showered in a few days? Like, I don't understand what we expect from people, I guess. Then there would be a whole other type of judgment there, too. Exactly. I just feel like we have to be a lot more forgiving, and be willing to see the other side of something and that comes on the patients too you know not all docs are out to get you (laughs) or don't listen clearly you know you're not that type of doctor not all doctors don't care exactly and most and most doctors don't I think that again a lot of it is bred into the limitations of our field and also training like if you were trained that you know it's kind of not really appropriate to (laughs) just you know be chatty coffee with your patients (laughs) you're not going to be chatty coffee with your patients you're actually going to probably be very rigid yeah yeah rigid you know so it's really a lot of like we all have to give each other some grace. My mom says she always breaks down doctors that she, she sees. Now she's a senior citizen. She hates when I call her that, but she is. And, <laughs> um, and she has time because she's retired. And so she'll like, if a doctor is like rushing through anything, she'll be like, so how was your day? Like, she rubs it in. Yeah, and, she, and I'm like, I know they can't stand it. But you know, sometimes you as a patient doing that, you may have been the first 
person that day, and it could be at 5 p.m. to ask that doctor how they were doing today. And she's gotten a lot of great feedback from From doing that. that. It probably like sparked something in them when they're like, oh, I'm probably rushing. Or, yeah, exactly. or, oh, I can stop and tell someone else about my day. That must be Exactly. Nice. Someone actually cares about my day Aww. because it's true. Like as yeah. a physician, sometimes you have to understand, we listen to people's problems all day, all day long. long, all day long. And so you push whatever's going on in your life to the back and you're just listening to other people's problems. So sometimes somebody, maybe some doctors go through things too. Sometimes yeah. maybe They're that's people. why. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's the reason why they're not as pleasant. Maybe Mm. we have to give everybody. I feel like we always have to give people the benefit of the doubt. But when they really show themselves for not being very nice, then you can take it from there. Exactly. (laughs) That's true. Because not everyone is a nice person. You may really find that they're not the right person. So I think it just comes down to finding a doctor that you blend or mesh well with because not everyone's gonna like the chatty Kathy doctor and not everyone's gonna like the rigid doctor and some people might like whoever's in the middle and same thing with doctors too like we have to figure out do we mesh well with this patient too like I've had patients where I'm just like this relationship is (laughs) not healthy and I think you would be better served if you went somewhere else or with someone else you know I'm not just gonna like ignore them but really because we have to mesh well if I don't feel comfortable with you and you don't feel comfortable with me how in the world are you gonna expect to get better and improve it's just not gonna happen so and I totally you have to find someone who, who you who you blend with but you brought up self-care what is it that you do for self-care because you said you know your personal stuff goes on the back burner. You're listening to patients all day with their issues. So what is it that you do for yourself? Oh, I do a few things. One thing I actually really recommend is therapy. I like talking to somebody who is completely just not involved. And the reason why I now have turned to a therapist is because, (laughs) you know, when the people in your life are like, I really don't want to hear about like your job drama or whatever it is. (laughs) <laughs> they were yeah. I feel like they, don't they never care told me but I could tell they were done yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like let me take this burden off of you guys so I still have friends and family that love me <laughs> no but they do and they listen to it and they probably still do more than they would like but like it's really helpful to sort things out you know stress because really like being a doctor is stressful I'm not it gonna is, lie yeah. it is a stressful job and so it's really nice to just even like just chat about things and then also like find ways to like manage that or find a sounding board like am I crazy oh no I'm not crazy cool just <laughs> checking <Thanks> for that <laughs> confirmation yeah exactly yeah literally I'm like and that's what I said and I knew that and thank you <laughs> I'm like thanks girl that's exactly what I thought <laughs> I just needed somebody to, to affirm me. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, therapy is great. I love meditating and I mm. use meditation apps. I've used Headspace because it's like a British monk guy <laughs> who has a very soothing voice. And I think that's really awesome. So I used him for a long time. But then I got the Calm app because there's different celebrities mm-hmm. on there and they read you bedtime stories. Like Matthew McConaughey reads <laughs> bedtime stories. It's really Stop, nice. Oh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> Yes, girl, the calm app. And I'm like, I'm not sponsored by anybody. 
there's that part. I really love it. It's just so soothing. It's so nice. I do mask sometimes. I'm like really basic. (laughs) (laughs) Mask, like face mask? Yeah, face mask. Uh I I own lots of different types of face masks. Mm -hmm. I'll do it. Sometimes, oh, I love baths. I have all those like crazy bath bombs and concoctions. (laughs) I literally try to do everything to relieve my stress because it's really important because I'm telling you right now, through all the training that I've been through, through medicine, through the army and stuff like that, things can get very stressful. And if you don't manage your stress well, it will come back to bite you in the butt. Like yes. it will, it will, That's quite it will true. not end well. No. It will not end well for you. And so it's like, I've definitely gotten to places where I've been way too stressed out and you know, and not taking the time to breathe and be in the moment because there will always be things you can think about. There's always work to do. <laughs> like, it never ends. Always, it never ends. There's always work to do. The work is never done because once you finish that work, a new set comes on. Yeah. So the work is never done. There will always be work to do. So sometimes you just have to take that five minutes, 10 minutes, hour, day, week, whatever it is, and like veg out yeah yeah or and I like to travel but that's not really happening now through COVID too but I'm like one of those people like I did a retreat it was actually for black women and it actually had people from all over the world there and it was in Tulum in Mexico and we were in this like eco resort where we did there was like yoga and meditation and like all these detoxifying like rituals that were very exciting. In addition to therapy sessions, like group therapy sessions. Oh, nice. Therapy sessions and nutrition stuff. So I'll do, I get involved in that. I'm like very. (laughs) So you do everything. You do the small stuff from little is just like a bath or a face mask to a whole retreat in Mexico. You do it all. Yeah, I'm like, I will literally (laughs) just, like go off the grid (laughs) you have to do that though you have to do that you know I always tell my patients you can't take care of other people if you're not taking care of yourself oh yeah so you have to and as a doctor you know you're you're getting bombarded with like everyone's issues. So you have to sort of step back and you have to look like, is my cup filled? (laughs) You got to fill your own cup. You got to put your own face mask on before you put on someone else's face mask on the airplane. You know, they tell you. Clearly, clearly. And the thing that's kind of crazy about it is that people like, especially women, we don't remember that enough. We don't remember that enough. And it's altering. We just take care of everyone else and we take care of ourselves last. Because that's the first thing I usually ask a lot of my patients. So what are you doing for you? Like Mm -hmm. what, like what have you done for yourself? I'll hear the laundry list of the people that are living in their house that they have to take care of and the work that they're doing, the school that they're doing and the degree they're trying to get. And, you know, they're running from here, there and anywhere, the jobs and all of that stuff. And I'm like, that's great and all but like what are you you. doing for you because I'm telling you you're gonna run out of steam soon or some of these physical ailments are a direct correlation to all of the stress like we as women especially but in general humans we get sick when we're stressed. <laughs> like, yeah, we sure our do. body breaks down. It sure and does. And people don't realize that. Like they think like it's just stress. We all have stress. Yeah. Yes. But the cumulative effects of it, if you don't address it, 
oh, it's not healthy and it's not good and your body will start to show. And I try to tell my children that I have three kids and my oldest is seven, my daughter will be four and I talk to them all the time. So when they stress me out, I will say, are you stressing mommy out? Like, stop, mommy's body will break if you stress mommy out. And there are some (laughs) days where I need to just like veg and put them in front of the TV and ignore them because I'm doing like, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because I care about you. I want to be able to take care of you and I have to do this for myself. And especially during COVID where like, we can't go anywhere. (laughs) So we're stuck. (laughs) I can't go, I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I'm stuck with the kids. So it's like, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to just watch TV for a while or go get your own snacks. You know where the food is. Handle yourself. I'm going to be out here reading this book. I I do what I got to do. You we have all have to, to do, do what, what we got to do. do. And my mom used to do that all the time, by the way. And I feel like that's what kept her peace. Because she would read these, like, you know, romance novels, whatever the case would be. And we used to, like, make fun of her so much. We're like, oh, my God, this is so awful. I remember when, especially as a teenager, it was like, uh, And she was like, this is what keeps me able right. to deal with you people. And now it makes <laughs> sense to you, right? I feel like oh, now it all makes perfect. sense when you're you're like, oh, perfect that's why. Yeah, so we all need to start taking care of ourselves. So we do. There it is. We do. And then I have my dog. I am like a crafty person, but not good at it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll like make things for my dog. Like, because she, my dog has her own Instagram page, oh which God. is funny to me and so like I'll make backdrops for her okay so now you have to share what is what is your dog's Instagram so my dog's name is Hennessy like the drink (laughs) so she's Hennessy the shorty I'm gonna have to link that because maybe that's gonna be someone's (laughs) self-care yeah exactly it's like she she goes places and does things so where should people find you so I am on Instagram, Dr. 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 Heather Arabunda, MD. That's me on Instagram, on TikTok, on the same Dr. Arabunda, MD, Dr. Heather Arabunda, MD, sorry, on that. And then you can find me on my blog, which is www.arabundamd.com. Um, yeah, I'm going to like all of that because you have some amazing information and you also got a TikTok going. Did you mention that? Yes, I do have a TikTok going and it's, um, it's fun. If you want to see some auntie dancing. It is so fun. <laughs> going on on the TikTok. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm going to link all of that. Cause like I said, you have some really helpful information, um, really educational stuff to share. And, and it's just fun. You do it in such a fun way. Your personality is so big. And I wish all doctors, I wish all of them were like you, because I think everyone would be better off having someone like you in their life. Fun times. (laughs) That's what I keep saying. I'm like, it's a fun time in my office most days. (laughs) It's great. It's great. Well, thank you for sitting down to speak with me. And I hope someone will find this information helpful. I hope so too. And come check me out. I'm fun. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us in the Kegel Room this week. Be on the lookout for new episodes every other Tuesday on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, or leave us a message. And as always, share with a friend or two. Until next time, sisters, may your pelvic floor be healthy and strong, just like you. Peace.